Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that comes to us through your word. Help us, Father, to listen to what you have to say to each one of us. Open our hearts and our minds and help your Holy Spirit to um, yeah, teach us. And uh, that through, the, through your word this morning that we will come to know you more and more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, now Chris is going to bring us the Bible reading. Concerning the unmarried. Now, about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who, by the Lord's mercy, is trustworthy. Because of the present crisis, I think that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you pledged to a woman? Do not seek to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life. And I want to spare you this. What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as they do not, those who mourn as if they did not, those who are happy as if they were not, those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep, those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them. For this world, in its present form, is passing away. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone is worried that he might not be acting honorably toward the virgin he is engaged to, and if his passions are too strong and he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He is not sinning. They should get married. But the man who has settled the matter in his own mind, who is under no compulsion, but has control over his own will, and who has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. 
So then, he who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry her does better. A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. In my judgment, she is happier if she stays as she is. And I think I too have the Spirit of God. Uh, thank you, Chris. Um, one of the brilliant things about the Bible is it speaks into so much of our life. So I'm just going to pray again that God will uh, help us each to hear his word this morning. Our God and Father, we do thank you for your, your precious word. Please open our hearts and our minds to receive it and live in its light. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you were here last week, you'll know that what we looked at was the revolutionary contentment uh, that Jesus brings, the revolutionary contentment. Uh, and the, the, the key verse last week was, live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to you. There's this incredible contentment that the gospel brings. When I hear contentment, I think of something like this. Um, you know, it kind of, oh yeah, I thought I'd get a few kind of oohs there. I can't resist a nice um, animal picture. Uh, it's this picture of utter relaxation, right? No worries, just lying back. That's contentment, Right. But you get to this passage and there's something quite surprising. Uh, in verse 35, Paul writes this, I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. So what's going on here? This kind of quiet contentment or revolutionary devotion? Um, now, we don't have kids' church today because uh, it's school holidays, but that does mean I need a bit of help from some of the kids. I particularly need help from someone who really likes chocolates. So I don't know if there's anyone out there. Okay, Megan, up you come. Good on you. Let's give her a clap. Up you, well done. Okay, just stand over there. Stand over the, over the other side. Now, I also... Oh, hang on. Just... Yeah, okay. I'll get you in a moment. Now, okay. What we're going to do is we're going to have a staring contest, okay? Not you and me. You're going to stare... You need to stare for 30 seconds at this, okay? Now, the, the, the challenge is, if you can't see it, it's the big, biggest chocolate block of chocolate I could find. The challenge is, you need to stand there. Look at this. The challenge is you're not allowed to take your eyes away from it for 30 seconds, okay? Do you reckon you can do that? Yeah. I think you can. Although, I also have some other helpers who are going to come up now. Who's coming up? Tom, up you come. Good on you, buddy. You want to come up to Milan? Up you come. Okay. These guys are my distractors. Okay. And I have a bag of distraction right here. Okay. So, you guys, you need to grab some stuff out of here. I'll help you. And we're going to start the count soon. Okay. Okay. Tom, you get some stuff out of there. I'm going to set my alarm, set my count for 30 seconds. And you are not allowed to look at anything else other than the chocolates, okay? All right, are you guys ready? Okay, do whatever you... You're not allowed to... You can't touch or get in the way or go too close. 
but you've got to try and distract her. You reckon you can do it? You're going to put that on? And what about that? You're going to put that on? No. No? I'll put that on. And what else have we got here? Okay, yeah, yeah. And this. On time? Okay, we don't have much time, so we've got to go quickly. Okay, ready? Time starts. You got it? Yeah. Everyone watch. Make sure she looks. Time starts now. Go! Oh. <laughs> uh, what else have we got in here? Um, oh, 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 yes. Where's that going from? Uh, balloon, balloon, balloon. Okay. We've got 10 seconds to count down from 10, everyone. Eight, seven, Awesome. Now that, thanks guys, take a seat. And don't worry, I have another one for anyone who missed out. Kids, if you'd like some, just come and see me after. Um, that was revolutionary devotion, wasn't it? That was incredible devotion. Single-mindedness, not looking to the right or to the left. Um, so... <laughs> Anyway, that's what's going on. Last week we were talking about contentment, being at peace in the situation God's called you to. This week, focus, determination, devotion, not being distracted. What's going on? Okay, of course the answer is both of them are true. Both of them are true. I reckon it's one of the most compelling evidences of the truth and the beauty of the gospel that it creates at the same time both a deep contentment and a focused devotion, both peace and purpose, both quiet rest and enthusiastic mission, both at the same time. Uh, and I think you see both of those things really powerfully at work in this chapter, in this chapter uh, of 1 Corinthians, chapter 7. Uh, we've been in the last few weeks all about relationships. In particular, this chapter focuses in on marriage and singleness. Uh, Paul's responding in this chapter to questions that the church has asked him. And the first one of those we looked at a couple of weeks ago about whether those who are married should give up their marriages now that they've come to Christ. They're, they're, it's a church of new Christians. They've been swept up into this amazing reality and they're asking the question, well, how does that impact my marriage? Should I give up on my marriage now? And, and Paul's answer then uh, was an emphatic, absolutely not. Marriage is God's good gift and you honour God with your body by giving yourself fully and bodily to it. Uh, Paul, in this um, little section we're looking at today, Paul turns to another one of their questions. So verse 25, up on the screen, he writes, now, about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, um, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. It's a little hard to get behind all the details of what's going on in this chapter. Uh, you would have had some good discussions in home group, no doubt. But it seems like they were asking something similar to the start of the chapter. If we've become Christians, if we've been included in God's family, what does that mean for our relationships? here and now and particularly in focus here the question they were asking is particularly those who are unmarried or maybe they're engaged and looking to get married 
And I think Paul's answer is really interesting. You would have noticed this a couple of weeks ago when he talks to married people. He's much more directive. Um, Give yourself to your marriage. Do you notice, as as, uh, Chris read through today, uh, though, in this section, it's, it's much less black and white. The issue is more complex than a simple kind of yes and no answer. Uh, Paul gives his advice, he says there, and it should be listened to carefully. He's one who is trustworthy in the Lord. But he also knows that there is a, there's freedom here. There's freedom here. Uh, there's a personal responsibility that people have to make decisions and work out the gospel in their own lives. And, and you find out as you keep reading, there's something more complex going on. It's even more complicated in Corinth. Uh, in verse 26, next verse, he, he talks about what he calls the present crisis because of this present crisis. I, again, we're not entirely sure what's going on there. There is some evidence that there are, were a series of grain shortages in the area around in this region around this time. So it's possible that there was some kind of famine or other social unrest The details don't matter too much, but there's some present crisis that means Paul's basic advice is for people not to make any big changes in their life. And and that kind of fits with what he was talking about last week, right? That general principle to stay in the situation you're in. Uh, So verse 26, he writes, Because of the present crisis, I think that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you pledged to a woman? Do not seek to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you've not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she's not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you this. So it seems like Paul's focus here is single men or women who are considering marriage. And Paul says because of this present crisis, he thinks they should stay as they are. And his, his reason is just very practical, right? Very, very practical. Uh, there are many troubles and responsibilities and commitments that those who are married are rightly bound to. Uh, Paul's, he's, Paul's giving his fatherly advice here. And in this situation that they're in, he thinks, all things considered, those who are single would be better to stay that way. And it's helpful for us to keep in mind too, in our culture... Um, we, we, there, we have a singles culture, but it's not the kind of single culture that to- Paul's talking about. Uh, uh, this doesn't mean a single, a kind of hookup culture that's uh, in Western society. Or if you remember what's happening in Corinth at the time, the culture of visiting prostitutes, that's not what's going on. It means celibate singleness, fleeing sexual immorality, honouring God's good design for sex within marriage alone. And, and you can, I think you can only say this. You can only say this if you have a worldview that doesn't idolise romance or marriage. Uh, our society does that, right? Uh, you will be bombarded with messages that you can't be a fulfilled person unless you're giving expression to all of your desires, that the ultimate aim is to find your soulmate who completes you and who feels, fulfills all your needs, um, so that's kind of the idolatry of marriage in our society. Other societies have a different way of idolizing, uh, making an idol out of marriage. Um, more traditional cultures, it's not so much about individual self-fulfillments, but about kind of family honor, carrying on the family name. 
And friends, even Christian cultures can take part in this. Uh, Churches can have this assumption that being married with kids is kind of the expected norm. And if if you're not in that category, you don't really belong. What's really interesting here is that this gospel culture, you know, shaped by Jesus' death and resurrection, how we live all of life, this gospel culture that Paul's teaching us about here doesn't buy into any of that. Doesn't buy into any of that. Paul does have an incredibly high view of marriage, and we've seen that on the way through. He's not at all anti-marriage, but he doesn't idolise it either. And he sees something equally stunning and beautiful about singleness. You get the feeling even more so with Paul. Uh, Singleness is God's gift, Paul, Paul sees it as. And we saw that earlier in the chapter, uh, not meaning some kind of, some people have this superpower of singleness. Uh, if you are single, Paul's teaching is, then that is God's gift to you, to be used for his glory. And this was a unique perspective. No one had ever taught this before. It's kind of this unique perspective. And what Paul does now as he goes on, what Paul does is to take us deeper into the theology that kind of underlies what he's talking about, underlies it all. And key to it all is knowing what time it is. Really important to know what time it is, especially today. Uh, And if uh, if you flick to that next slide, there should be a diagram. There, There you go. This should be familiar if you're with us last year when we looked at our series on the end of everything, got the, the kind of big picture of uh, God's um, view of time. History in the Bible is seen in these five movements, creation, fall, redemption promised and kind of patterned in the Old Testament, redemption accomplished in Jesus, and the future new creation when God will make all things new. And we live, Christians live, in between four and five there. We live in between what theologians call the overlap of the ages, what the New Testament calls the last days, the days between Jesus' first and second coming. And it creates this tension for Jesus' people. We are already part of his new creation. We are now raised with him and seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus Uh, We are part of his new creation now, but we're still part of this present world too. In this world, in our fallen bodies. And what Paul does next, I think, is so interesting. He, He launches from this present crisis, whatever that is, kind of local issue. He launches from that into thinking and talking about a much bigger picture. There is a greater moment of crisis, a greater urgency that should shape all of us, whether or not there's a famine going on or a pandemic or whatever else. There's a greater urgency, a greater moment of crisis. Now, I was trying to think how to illustrate this. I think we all got a glimpse of this last night, the night before daylight savings starts. So I reckon the night before daylight savings is kind of like a miniature picture of living in the last days. Uh, the official moment of change, I think it's at 2 a.m., is that right? So I think 2 o'clock is when the change happens. That's when time changes. But at 9.30 last night, I was thinking, okay, the clock says 9.30, but really, really it's 10.30, right? Really it's 10.30. So I better go to bed. 
The change, the change it was actually 9.30, technically. The change hadn't happened, but you know it's on the way. You know you've got to get up an hour earlier for church on Sunday, and you start living in light of that coming future. <laughs> anyway, a bit of a silly example, but I reckon that's something like what living in the last days is like. This framework that shapes everything that Paul's writing in this letter, in this passage. Now, there's lots of details, lots of tricky questions we can't go into here. Happy to talk about it afterwards if you've got something that's come up in home group or another question. Uh, but what I want to do is focus on the big picture of what Paul's saying here, especially with regard to singleness and marriage. Uh, his big picture message, and you can see it if you have your hand out there, I've tried to put it in three parts. His big picture message is to live as those who belong to God's coming world. But to do that within the good but temporary constraints of this world, this present world. And to do that all in a gospel-fueled wisdom and freedom. I think those, that that's kind of captures the, the big teaching of Paul here. So, um, live as those who belong to God's coming world. Verse 27, Paul springboards from this local present crisis to talk about something much bigger. Verse, uh, sorry, verse 29. Verse 29. What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they did, do not those who mourn as if they did not, those who are happy as if they were not, those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep, those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them. For the present world of, uh, present, this world in its present form is passing away. It's, it's extreme language that gets used here, right? It's meant to wake us up. It's meant to wake us up. It's not meant to be pushed to its kind of literal limit. So, those who have wives should live as if, as if they do not. It doesn't literally mean you forget your spouse, so you wake up each morning, look at them and say, what are you doing here? Like, who are you? Uh, it also doesn't mean you should neglect your family in order to pursue gospel things. Uh, that would contradict everything Paul's saying. Um, in, in another letter, 1 Timothy, he says that someone who neglects their family has denied the faith. So that, that's not at all what it means. I think verse 31 is the key here. Those who use the things of this world as if not engrossed in them. Not engrossed in them. There's a way of living in this world that becomes engrossed in it. There's a way of using wealth, of buying and selling that becomes engrossed in material things. There's a way of being happy there's a way of mourning, even there's a way of being married that becomes consumed in that moment, in that feeling, in that relationship, and forgets God's bigger picture. And Paul wants us to wake up out of that. He gives this stark wake-up call, the world in its present form is passing away, is passing away. So get married if you want, mourn, be happy, buy and sell, use the things of this world. But see what Paul's saying here? Don't forget what time it is. Don't forget what time it is. The time is short. 
I don't think that's talking necessarily about a specific number of years before Jesus returns. He's saying that we're in this last period of God's great salvation plan and purpose, God's timeline, these last days. The next thing to happen on God's timeline is Jesus is returning to judge and renew the world, which means there's something so much bigger to live for than the next gadget. The day is coming when your happiest moment here will fade into insignificance. The day is coming when whatever grief you carry here will be completely healed. The day is coming even when our earthly marriages will be laid aside and all of us will enter into the ultimate wedding feast of the Lamb. On that day... We will experience true, the true reality that our human marriages were always meant to point us towards. And friends, if that coming future is fixed in our hearts, then it has to shape the way we live now, far more than knowing the time's going to change tonight, so I better sit my, live as if it is. It has to change the way we go about life, doesn't it? It has to change our relationships now. We have to live in that coming world that is broken into the present in Christ and in his church. It has to shape it, but it doesn't... Here's the next next really and really important thing. It has to shape our lives now, direct them, but it doesn't obliterate our relationships and our responsibilities here and now. And this is really important. I think this is, you know, it's a, it's a part of the letter that you need to read slowly and over and over again. I think Paul's being really pastorally balanced here. It is very possible to become engrossed in the things of this world and forget the coming world. And that's kind of his big thing to say, no, don't do that. It's also possible to flip to the other extreme, to kind of wrongly neglect the things of this world even out of a desire to serve God. There are things of this world that won't carry over into the new creation, but that are still good and right. Things that place proper responsibilities on us. And marriage is one of those things, Paul says. And I think basically what Paul goes on to urge the single people he's particularly addressing now, to urge them, is to take that reality into consideration. Marriage places constraints on you. And they're good and proper constraints and should be embraced by those who are married. But there's still realities to be aware of, right? Especially if you're a single person looking into your future and considering getting married. There's still realities to be aware of. And so I think Paul is just very practical in his advice again. From verse 32, he says, I'd like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. His interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. All of that, I think Paul is saying, that's, he's not sort of um, 
he's not denigrating marriage. He's saying that's entirely right and good. Yes, a husband should seek to please his wife. A wife should seek to please her husband. But the reality is to take into consideration in these last days, when the time is short. And he says in verse 35, I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, uh, so that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. He's giving his fatherly advice to this church he's writing to. Now, does this mean that those who are unmarried are called to be devoted to God and those who are married aren't? I don't know. I don't think you can read that into this at all. Uh, Later on in this letter, Paul's going to go on and say to everyone, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. All of Christ's people are called to live in devotion to him. But do you see what Paul is saying here? Those who are single have a particular opportunity and freedom to express that devotion in an undivided way. Your singleness is God's gift to you now. This this passage isn't saying that married people have it hard and singles have it easy. Please don't hear that if you are single. Each of us have burdens and struggles particular to our situation. What it is saying, though, is that there are God-given obligations and constraints that are rightly placed on those who are married. That if you're single, you are freed from. And all Paul's saying here, I think, is take that into account. Don't undervalue it. Make the most of your singleness for Jesus and his kingdom out of undivided devotion to the Lord. But you keep reading on, right? And you can, you can see here that Paul is at pains to say, this is an area of wisdom. Uh, he's not laying down cookie-cutter rules. He's not trying to emotionally manipulate anyone. There is freedom here. Um, He's just trying to keep drawing our eyes back to Jesus and the gospel so that you can live in wisdom in the light of the time that we're in. So verse 36, um, again, so just earthy and practical, right? If anyone's worried that he might not be acting honorably toward the virgin he's engaged to, and if his passions are too strong and he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He's not sinning. They should get married. Um, That's a good thing. But, verse 37, the man who has settled the matter in his own mind, who is under no compulsion, but has control over his own will, and who has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. So then he who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry her, Paul says, according to him in his sort of wisdom, does better. Again, this is Paul's wisdom to us, and he... But I think what's going on, he really wants to elevate singleness as a fulfilled and holy state in Christ. In light of the coming future, it's, it's right and good to get married, but it's also really right and really good to stay single out of devotion to Jesus. And Paul says at the end, if you do get married, make sure it's to a Christian. That's how Paul ends. And interestingly here, he, he switches from giving kind of advice for you to consider and chew over and make your own mind up about to a much more kind of directive thing. Verse 39, a woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives, 
but if her husband dies, she's free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. In my judgment, she's happier if she stays as she is, and I think that I too have the Spirit of God. So Paul says, um, in this situation, uh, the, the person considering remarrying, must, uh, he must belong to the Lord, the person that they want to get married to. And if, if what Paul has already said is true, if the time is short, the present form of this world is passing away, the new creation, li- living in light of the new creation, if all of that's true, that just makes sense, right? If you've been bought at a price, you belong to Jesus, and your life is devoted to him, if you're going to get married, it just makes sense that if you do marry, it's someone who also belongs to the Lord, who's going to be pulling in the same direction as you are. I know that's very complicated um, and really happy to talk more about that. I think, though, this also applies to dating. Uh, Dating isn't sort of talked about in the Bible. It's a relatively new phenomenon in human history. Um, But if for a Christian, dating is about figuring out if and who you might marry down the track, it just makes sense that that ought to be with someone who belongs to the Lord too. I'll leave you with that. Friends, we live in a society that has, as we looked at at the start, our society has made an idol out of romance and sex. It says the the messages we get are, you're not really a person, a fulfilled person. You you can't be a happy person unless you're coupled up. That is a lie. It's a lie. Jesus is your only hope in life and in death. He is completes you he fulfills you and before too long you will be welcomed into the marriage that we were all made for the union of heaven and earth the intimacy of being fully known and fully loved by your faithful savior the bridegroom of his church if you're not a christian that's what the gospel offers to you If you are a Christian, that is true for you, whether you're married or you're single. If you're married, it'll stop you from idolising your marriage, from turning it into something insular and kind of self-centred. Your marriage is there for Jesus, so serve him with it. If you're single, all of that will... um, uh, your, Your singleness is there for Jesus too. All of this will help you to know that. So serve him with it. You have great and unique opportunities to do that. Friends, in Christ, all of us have something bigger to live for, don't we? Bigger to live for than being devoted to Netflix or being devoted to that promotion, being devoted to having a neat and orderly life. The time is short. The time is short. The present form of this world is is passing away so live for jesus now in whatever situation the lord has called you to and ask god to grow within you this kind of wise contented free devotion Uh, that's on that's on offer here and that we see in this passage let me do that for us now and uh, ask that god will do that in, in us let's pray
Our gracious God, we thank you that in Christ you have brought us into your great salvation, that we have an incredible hope, that one day you will make all things new, that all suffering and sickness and longing and death will be brought to an end. We will be healed and fulfilled. We will be fully known and fully loved. Thank you for the certain hope that we have through the gospel, that that is true that the present form of this world is passing away and that the time is short. And for each one of us here today, please help us to live in line with that reality. Uh, Lord, all of us are in a different circumstance. This will speak to us each in a particular way. But Father, please give us humility. Please help us to be those who are both deeply contented in all you have done for us in Christ. In the the way in which you have brought us to yourself, that we belong to you, and nothing can change that, nothing can take us away from your love. That deep contentment, and also, as well as that, flowing out of that, connected to that, those who are devoted to Jesus. Uh, give us wisdom to know what that looks like for each of us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.